Ephesians, a letter that Paul wrote while he was in prison, essentially just for talking about Jesus, um, to the church, and he, he wrote this letter to a church, to the church in a, in a place called Ephesus. Um, now, this would have been a pretty young church, peopled with folks who were, who were quite new to the faith. Uh, and so Paul is trying to help these new Christians out. He's trying to teach them how to reconcile this new information, this new set of beliefs that they have. With He's trying to reconcile that with how they behave. You know what I mean? Like, if, if, if I believe tenet A or, or, or as opposed to tenet B, how, how ought that to affect the way that I act, the way that I talk? Um, Good ideas and, and sound thinking are all well and good, but what, what real-world difference ought it to make when I am at work, when I am at play, when I'm at rest? How, how should my beliefs impact my speech, my behavior um, in my workplace, in my school, with my friends and family, with strangers? Um, we're, we're trying to balance belief and behavior. And, and Graham has been likening all of this uh, to a dance. The whole idea is that this coming together, this synchronization of belief and behavior, is, is, he, he's been likening it, likening it to a dance. The idea that all of these things come together, when, when, when they come together, when our actions and our words mirror or, or complement the reality of what we claim to believe in Jesus, it's, it's truly a thing of beauty. And he then, by way of illustration, uh, showed us a, a video of two kids dancing, and he said that it was he and Karen when they were younger, and we all laughed and laughed. <laughs> because all of you know a young Lincoln and Joel when you see them. Um, and, 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 then, and then Graham... As Graham alluded, um, this whole section that we began last week, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14, it's all one great big long sentence in the original language. Um, for those of you who know me, I'm, I'm a teacher, and in mid-January, I'm just coming out of paper grading mode. Um, so the thought of a sentence that long at this time of year almost has me reaching for my red pen. But, but like Graham was suggesting last week, it's, it's, this, it's this effusiveness that we're getting from Paul as he celebrates and, and eulogizes the incredible spiritual blessings that belong to those who choose to follow Jesus. It's really, it's really good news, and so we can allow him to get away with this kind of thing. Like last week, um, Graham spoke about the, the first few verses in this section, um, the first few clauses in this mammoth sentence, and, and next week he's going to uh, triumphantly return to talk about the last two verses, but he has left this uh, middle section, the, the creamy middle. He's left it for me to walk us through it. Uh, so, um, for, for now, however, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the whole section, the whole 12 verses, and then we'll come back and look at that middle section that I'm going to be talking about in more detail. Um, so for now, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. 
again, I'm reading from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, and I'm going to start at verse 3. <clears throat> Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the words of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory." Thus far, God's word. You can be seated. Um, as we look at this passage today, we're actually going to look at it um, from back to front, just because as I was studying it, uh, that's how it made the most sense to me. And I'm prepared to concede that perhaps that says more about me than it does about the actual passage, but um, I'll let you decide that. Let's dig in. So I'm going to start at the end of this middle section that I'm dealing with, uh, verses 11 and 12, where it says, In him we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Um, the reason I'm wanting to start at the back end is that it's because it's, it's at the back of this passage that we find the actual reasoning for all of this. All of this that we're going to be talking about today. And what is that reason? For the praise of his glory. In, in, in this passage, verses 3 to 14 that I just read, that phrase was used three times. Graham talked a little bit about this last week, acknowledging that there is a measure to which God going to all these kinds of measures for his own glory does kind of make him sound a little bit like a petulant teen at first reading. Uh, and, and this is kind of a valid concern. I mean, is God really that insecure? You know, is he going to forget about his greatness if we forget, if we fail to, to remind him by praising him? Um, 19th century philosopher uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, remember Nietzsche, the God is dead guy? Um, he was an atheist, 
And, and this idea was one of his, his biggest logical objections to the idea of an, of an all-powerful God. He, he famously said, I cannot believe in a God who wants to be praised all the time. And, and the truth of the matter is that he does kind of have a point. I mean, it does seem rather ungodlike. The, the, the fact that God's desire for people to praise him only makes sense in light of some of the other reasons that we are, we are to praise him. Let me, suggest that, that, let me suggest some other reasons that indeed God's seeking glory and praise from us actually serves us. Um, first of all, first of all, it's simply the way we're wired. Uh, ha- have you noticed that p- human beings have a tendency to worship? Uh, if it's not God, it's something else, uh, another God, work, r- a relationship, a hobby, possessions. Um, on, on a very deep, intrinsic level, all human beings have this sense either consciously or subconsciously, we have the sense that in and of ourselves, we are not complete. That on our own, we are missing something. And that's no accident, because humanity was designed for relationship with God. And secondly, the simple fact that he is worthy of our praise. If we're going to praise something, someone, it is only reasonable that we would praise him who is most worthy of our praise. And as we take in the glory of the, of the greatness and the beauty of God, as we rehearse together his mighty acts of, of saving and provision in our lives, I mean, we could do that in this room. I'm sure even just the stories we could tell here, we can see from these that God is indeed great. He is indeed worthy of our praise. So so because we're wired to ascribe glory to something outside of ourselves, it's as we realize that that it is God who is ultimately worthy of glory, it it becomes clear that our worship of God is, is simply evidence that we have an accurate understanding of who God is and of who we are. God wants us to worship him because he knows that if we are not praising him, we're missing something. God desires praise from us, at least in part, because he knows that we are most fulfilled, that we are most satisfied, that, dare I say it, we are most human when we praise God. So, so what is it then that God has wrought for the, the, the praise of his glory? Let's, let's back up a couple of verses and take a look. Starting at verse 9 now. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put, to pu- to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. All of this, all of this is a part of a greater plan. Namely, as we've talked about already, that we might praise him. There's, there are some kinds of upsetting and unnerving things 
um, some upsetting and unnerving realities about biblical truth, but this is one of those comforting truths. The fact that God is in control of the universe. We read, well, we read all over the, the, the Bible, and I'm thinking in particular of the, the book of Revelations, but we read elsewhere too, that there is a throne of the cosmos and that God is on it. God God reigns. He is in control, and he, he doesn't reign with a, with a sort of nervous, hand-wringing uncertainty as though at any moment some other power might unseat him. God is in control, and he will bring about his will. The question then becomes, why then do I not always feel like it? Well, one of the reasons for that is that God, God is a God of journey. All of these things in God's, all of these things occur in God's good and perfect timing, which unfortunately doesn't always feel like our idea of good timing. It's the waiting. It's, it's the waiting, though. It's, it's a, waiting is a beast. It, 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 a significant part of the challenge is the fact that God's idea of good timing doesn't always match ours. Um, I, I think of Bruce, Bruce Hornsby and, and his classic song, Waiting for a Miracle, where he astutely asks his listeners, why does history take such a long, long time? And I, for one, feel like I know exactly where he's coming from. Uh, it, and, and, and what's more, in the midst of this, even while things are yet undone, even when things don't yet feel like God is in control, we are supposed to be praising God. Why? You know, is, is it because that, you know, as Christians we're supposed to be, you know, in, right, out, right, up, right, down, right, happy all the time? It, it, no. You guys remember that song? Just me? No, you're, okay, some of you know that tune. All right, but, but it's, not, it's, not, it's not because of that. Life happens, and, and, and stuff happens, and my sin happens, and, and when it does, God doesn't ask us to ignore it or to pretend that it doesn't hurt. In fact, God is sometimes the only one who isn't asking us to ignore it and pretend that it doesn't hurt. But, but yes, he does call us to praise him anyway. Why? We're called to praise, on him, praise him in the midst of all of that as an act of faith. Faith that God is right when he declares that he has indeed defeated the powers of sin. Faith that God is right when he declares that he has indeed defeated the powers of injustice. Faith that God is right when he claims to have indeed defeated the power of death. These are things that we can only declare by faith because we see evidence of all this stuff all around us. Faith that the declaration of God in these matters is, is, is more than just rhetoric, more than just some kind of theological abstraction. Faith that it actually means something in the real world. And the truth of the matter is, if we genuinely believe these things, 
we will praise God regardless of our circumstances. Praise him even, even through the midst of our brokenness and our pain and our sin. All of these things will come to fruition. If you'll indulge me another song lyric, I think of, uh, I think of, of Curtis Mayfield. You know, it's been a long time coming, but change is going to come. There's going to be a time when everything comes to completion and all is, is made absolutely well. And we will see that. But in the meantime, God wants us to journey with him. Paul talks about, he talks about the fulfillment. The fulfillment of what? What is it that's being fulfilled to bring glory to God in all of this? To the praise of his glory. What is this work in us that he has started that scripture assures us he is faithful and will complete. Well, let's back up a little further and find out. Verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. There it is, folks. There it is. Redemption through his blood. This is, the, this is the thing that God is working out. This is the thing that he is bringing to completion for the praise of his glory. But, but let's stop for a minute and talk about a couple of these words. Redemption, the word redemption, what, is, what does that mean? It, unless you spend a lot of time in church, you know, you hear the word redemption and you, you're probably thinking of redeeming vouchers, gift cards. Um, what's the Apostle Paul talking about when he talks about redemption? Well, he's talking about freedom from slavery. It, it, this, is, this is economic language. This is legal language that Paul is using. Back then, in, you know, in the ancient Near East, if a person was a slave, they could be legally released from their slavery only if a price was paid for them. To pay that price on behalf of someone, was to redeem them. It's a buying back. And what Paul is suggesting, and what he actually states outright elsewhere in his letters, is that we, as broken, imperfect people, are slaves to sin. We are, we are slaves, and we have no capacity in ourselves to free ourselves from, from sin. Anything that we suffer... Because of our sin, any, any price we, we pay because of our own brokenness is, is merely what we deserve. Because of that, we can't redeem ourselves from sin. Therefore, if the, if the price of redemption was to be paid, it was nothing that we could do for ourselves. It's nothing that we could do for each other to pay the price for our sin. Because anything that we... Any, any, any brokenness that comes as a result of that sin is just what we deserve. It had to be God. It had to be God. And glory to him, he did. Okay, but, but, but what is the means for this redemption? Paul says that, that the redemption occurs through his blood. That is through the blood of Jesus. You know, that I mean... 
Yikes, that, that sounds kind of dark. Um, well, yeah, it kind of is. Uh, here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. God wants to have communion and fellowship with people. And that's the way we were made. That's the way we were made. Um, when we look back to our, you know, to Adam and Eve in the garden, um, Eden is, is, is painted to us as this sort of utopian ideal. And, and it may sometimes seem strange that, that, that even though we may have our own idea of what Eden was like, we have there are clues in scripture as to where it was, and we know that there were assorted flora and, and fauna flitting about and stuff like that. But, but we are given remarkably few details about what, what Eden was like. Now, doesn't it seem strange that if this is supposed to be some sort of an ideal, we wouldn't be given more information? Like, isn't this what we're supposed to be working towards? Well, I will suggest to you that we are given everything in Scripture that tells us what made Eden a paradise. And it was this, the fact that Adam and Eve had perfect communion with God. That was what made it paradise. Now, what happened when Adam and Eve sinned is they became slaves then to that sin. And, and ever since then, we have our, our communion with God has been marred. Ever since that sin, the next time God came around to the garden, Adam and Eve ran and hid. You know, and, when they, and then when they did emerge, they were you know, covering ourselves. You know, they're covering themselves because they're ashamed. And it's been a significant part of the work of God ever since to be finding ways to commune with people. In his mercy, uh, through his, his, his servant Moses, he created a, you know, he passed down a, a series of, of sacrifices and ceremonial cleansings by, by, by means of which the people of Israel, God's chosen people, could commune with God. But God's presence was no joke. That's the thing. God's presence was no joke. And God's presence is incompatible with sin. It's like, it's like water in a hot skillet, like gone. Sin cannot exist in the presence of God. And so he created this system of sacrifices because the only means for redemption from sin was death. I mean, that's, that sounds really dark, but it's true. That was the only means of redemption. And so it was through this series of sacrifices that people were able to have communion with God. Once a year, the high priest would go into you know, the Holy of Holies, this, the place where the presence of God was said to dwell, and offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. And even when he went into the Holy of Holies, they, they would tie a little rope around his foot, you know, kind of just in case. You know, uh, and, and, and because these people took the presence of God very seriously, and there was this veil in the temple that separated the presence of God from his people. Enter onto the scene the person of Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus Christ comes onto the scene, and he actually claimed to be the temple of God. He claims to be the very embodiment of the glory of God. And then when he, having lived on earth, 
died to pay the penalty for our sin, to redeem us from sin, to buy us back from sin, the Gospels tell us that the, the veil in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That, that thing that at the very least um, figuratively separated God from people was no longer there. God redeemed us through his blood, through his death. God came in the person of Jesus Christ, lived a sinless life, so he had no debt of his own, and then died to redeem us. That's what we celebrated last week at, at communion. That's what we gather to celebrate every week. The fact that we have been redeemed, that God so loved us that he redeemed us. And how complete is God's redemption? How serious is God about this whole forgiveness of sins thing? Well, we, we read here that it is in accordance with the riches of God's grace. God's grace is bottomless. God's grace is boundless. How complete is the forgiveness of sins? Absolutely complete. Okay, you know, but, but even for me, yes, even for you, and for me too. In verse 8, we're told that, that, that these are the gifts of God, that, that, that these gifts of God are, these are gifts that God lavishes on us with all wisdom and understanding. He forgives us eyes open. He forgives us seeing who we are. He forgives us knowing what we've done. Your pile of sin is not going to freak God out. God's plan that he is bringing to completion is to redeem us by his blood, to forgive us our sins, that we might have communion with him to the praise of his glory. So what do we do with all this? What do we do with all this? Let me suggest a couple of things. First of all, for, for those of you who, who are followers of Jesus, who would, who would say you are followers of Jesus, First of all, I would say that for you, something to do with that is to simply stand in that redemption. As, as, as Derwin alluded to before, to, to not allow guilt to have rule over you. Your, your debt is paid. You don't have that hanging over you. you needn't we have a tendency to live in, in, with, a, with this sense of guilt, even though our debt has been paid. Stand free in that guilt. And then fulfill God's plan by praising him. Even while, even while symptoms of that, of that sin, symptoms of that injustice, symptoms, symptoms of, of death might persist. In faith, praise God. If you're not yet a follower of Jesus and, and what I'm saying resonates with you and you're wondering, well, okay, well, this is interesting what do i what do i do with this um let me suggest the first 
step would be to just accept it, to talk to God about it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to try, to try to sell you something or, or bait and switch you on something. It, it's, it's, it's a serious deal. It will significantly alter your lifestyle if you take it seriously. I mean, it's gonna, it'll, it'll mess you up. Um, it will. I'm, I mean, I'm just going to tell you the truth. It's going to mess you up. Um, but, but I will tell you, um, I'll tell you as one who has made that choice himself, and as, as many in this room would, would attest, um, once you've known him, there, there's no one else worth following, and there's, there's nothing else worth doing. It's, it's, it's true. So if, if that's something that you want to do, um, I would invite you to, to just tell God uh, that, that's, that that's something that you want to do, that you want to accept, you want to accept his lordship, that you want to, you want to be redeemed by him, that you want to be his. And, and if, you, if, you're, if you want some sort of, if you want to know exactly how to do that, I, I mean, talk to me. There, there, uh, talk to other people. There are lots of people in this room that you could talk to. Tell somebody that you want to do this. And, 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 and that's something that, that I or, or someone else could walk you through in some detail. But talk to God. Talk to God. Let's pray. Let's pray, and then we'll close in song. Father God, we thank you that you are in control. We thank you that, that you are on the throne of the universe and that your plans will not be thwarted. And we thank you that your plan is to make us whole. Your plan is to set us free. Give us grace to walk in that. Give us grace to accept it and to walk in it to the glory of your name, that you would be praised, that you would be lifted high. Amen.